What's up? This is Justin Simeon, and don't at me unless you got something to say. Welcome to Don't At Me, a safe space for nuanced conversations with the artists and pattern disruptors making the world of tomorrow. Accompanying me on today's episode is the visionary directress, as she refers to herself on Twitter, Alma Harrell. Excuse me, I'm trying to deal with generational trauma. Hello. (laughs) Can we not like make me insecure about this cup? Why does she have a job? Think it through. Play the tape out. What's your mother got a job for? Huh? Just in case. In case case what? In case what? I don't know. In case you fail. In case it don't work out. Yes, man. She's filling your head full of fear. I don't ever do that, do I? Huh? I pump you full of strength. Because we're on a team, and I know you got what it takes. You're a fucking star, and I know it. That's why I'm here. I'm your cheerleader, honey boy. You trust me? Yeah. Okay. Now, Alma is a director of the critically acclaimed and one of my absolute favorite movies of 2019, Honey Boy. Written by and starring Shia LaBeouf, Honey Boy tells the story of Shia's experiences growing up as a child star and his tumultuous relationship with his father. Shia plays his father while Noah Jupe and Lucas Hedges play the child and adult versions of Shia, or Otis, as he is named in the film. Alma is also the founder of Free the Work, a platform for underrepresented creators to be discovered and to find work in entertainment. What's going on, Alma? Man, after that <laughs> intro? Uh, I'm referring to myself as the visionary director. Listen, you are. It's all true. How you do, where, you, where are you coming from today? What, are you, what have you been doing? Oh, man, I have one of those days where you're like, go around town when you have a good movie. Yeah, you got a good movie, Alma. Uh, it's a good day today. You got a and good people movie. people are nice to you, and you're like, what do you want to do next? I have one of those days. I got to say, I, I am Never happened like that before, so I'm, I'm, I'm basking in it a little. I admire that you're basking in it, because let me tell you something. My depressed ass. What did you do? <laughs> oh, no, I'm old, though. What did no, you do? I, I waited long. So. When, I, when I get, like, literally this part, I, I get so in my head about it, because right. it's like, will they ever let me back in? Like, right. they, I got like one. Imposter, imposter, imposter kind of syndrome? Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and we'll talk about that a little bit, too. No, let's go. That's the most interesting stuff. I want to start with the... How, how, do yeah. you mind me asking, though, how Not old all. were you when you won Sundance and all that shit happened? Oh, shit. So that was, Sundance was 2014, so that was six, no, can I do math? But you did, it was like your first film, right? That was my first film, yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's like really when I realized I had depression because I made my first film, um, I found my partner, Rick Proctor, my boyfriend, and I got all the things I wanted and I still couldn't get out of bed. And that's when I was like, oh, girl, you broken. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I agree, on? man. I mean, I have, we could talk about it later, but yeah, I've gone through like depression, anxiety, all forms of that stuff. And I think I'm kind of better now and know what to do to manage all of those things and kind mm. of came out the other side and a lot of it through actually filmmaking, I have to say, that kind of saved my life in many ways. So I'm, I'm like, yeah, let's go. Let's you go. Can, you can feel it watching Honey Boy. I mean, I'm going to save it for a little bit later in the conversation because the idea of cinema as therapy or as therapeutic is, yeah. re- I mean, it's so apparent in that film. Uh, tell me about how you got started. Like, what called you to this crazy ass vocation of directressing? Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, yo, I don't know. I never, I never know how to answer this question in like, you know, a quick way because it's been such a complex 
complicated, long path of yeah. like one thing leading to another. Girl, take your you time. Know, I never, <laughs> we have an hour. <laughs> um, yeah, I never, you know, I, I didn't have that thing where you like, uh, I picked up a, a Super 8 camera when I was 12. Sometimes I read people's stories and they're like, when I was 12 year old, I picked up a Super 8 camera. And then yeah. when I was 18, 19, I went to NYU and then like I stepped out and like, such and such was like you're the best and like and then I kind of started so it really wasn't like that I was kind of um I guess a combination of like um some curiosity um a life that led me in many ways like from early on in life to um be in situations where film and television were part of my childhood in ways that are really emotional to mm. me, like my um, parents. Um, my father was an alcoholic. My mom um, was trying to live with that <laughs> and uh, had her own, you know, things she was dealing with. And they would kind of always were on and off together. Um, and she worked really hard, like seven days a week. And wow. first of all, I spent a lot of time with television, you know, as a kid um, alone or with my brothers, um, brother, sister. But then also when my mom and my dad would be separating and my dad, would, she would be like, you're out of the house and I'm never talking to you again and you can never come here. Because she was always like, you know, I think a lot of families and relationships that... Um, have addiction in them. Um, the parent that's trying to get out is always like trying to put boundaries so they don't get sucked back in. Right. And she would often be like, yeah, I'm never talking to you again. And then like kind of talking to him through me, which by the way, if you saw Honey Boy, there's like a scene there when the kid is on the phone. Like that's just like my life, minus the wow. talented performance of, of each parent. But really um, kind of uh, would see my dad outside the house and my dad never had his own place like even mm. when they would be separated for a year or two he'd be like staying with friends or living somewhere kind of temporary so he would come and take us to the movies and wow. we would just go to see movies together that was like the hang and talk about them afterwards like sit like we would literally climb a tree afterwards wow. I remember that I was in Israel um, and climb a tree afterwards and sit on the tree and talk about the movie wow. or go and sit like in a in a public space or a garden or a mall and <clears throat> and that was I think like my relationship to movies was kind of partially it was loving him loving his love for movies and that's the that's where we hang, you know, and uh, my brother too. And then, um, and really from there on, it was just like acting and like, I don't know, um, being in front of the camera on TV shows and things like that, um, realizing that's kind of not my thing. Photography, editing, you know, PAing, like just yeah. like uh, trying all sorts of things, like, and every possible thing, getting a lot of, um, getting into situations where they wanted me to be in front of the camera and I was like, I'm only going to do it if you let me direct it. Mm. And that was kind of the only, th the first time I kind of got to do stuff or or directing a music video for my boyfriend. Um, at some point, like, I started video art and that was like a huge turning point for me um, and and taught myself how to edit and, and you know, in order to, to do that. And that has a whole crazy other story of how I got uh, how I got into that and got to even have a computer to teach myself how to edit that 
um, I won't get into it here because it's too it's too bizarre. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, like just like a lot of you know things that like build on each other for years and years and years and years and different paths and at a certain point just feeling like. Um, when I came here, like doing music videos for a while and like feeling like, okay, I really, I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Like I have a voice, I know what I want to do and like, how do I do it? And then realizing nobody's giving me that kind of chance or that right. financing or that thing. And I know you did crowdfunding for your first film. Yeah, that's right. But I, I didn't, I kind of um, I was in, in the midst of like separation from my husband and I was just like I'm getting a small camera I bought a small camera in, in Best Buy $600 camera and built this like Frankenstein thing from it um, with this really kind guy named Joe Sham I'll never forget it um, who helped me build it with like a mini Litas and some lenses and two love mics and wow. went to the desert and shot my first film. This is your first feature. Yeah. Well, we're going to get to we're actually going to get to that. That was we, that was my film school, man, you know. Yeah, you just yeah. sort of figuring it out on your own. Yeah. Well, really quickly before we talk about Bombay Beach, which is your first feature. Yeah. I'm just were you aware at that time like of what film was for you? It sounds like it sounds like, you know, film was like escape, but there was also medicine, but it was also like a podium for you it was like a stage like it yeah, was a, a way to express yourself like were you aware that film was I, that for you i was definitely aware that it saved my life because mm. like in my 20s um i started from really i guess 18 but really just a lot of drugs alcohol addiction not like i wouldn't say like crazy you know situations um, necessarily in in one aspect of it, but all mixed up with like anxiety, depression, self harm, just like every part, like right. kind of like as they say the the buffet of of you know um, destructive behaviors when you don't like really pick one all right, the way, right. but you really kind of <laughs> you do a few of them like half ass. Yes, yeah. and mm-hmm. and I can relate. Yeah, and and <laughs> and um, and I think like. Um, one of my first um, therapy, when I started to do therapy, I, the first therapist I had uh, was treating me, and at the time I was really, like, I used to, like, cut myself a lot. Mm. And she treated me with uh, gestalt okay. therapy, which is, involves, like, role play of your dreams or your memories, which is really, has been in my whole work since Gish, that's then. A very, that's like a Jungian concept um, or no it's not a Jungian concept but it's it, it's very much I guess kind of close to psychodrama too uh, but uh-huh. um, yeah it's it helped me a lot but really what um, what changed was not that's not what saved me what saved me was when I was trying to exp- started to express myself and Got really it. kind of found value in that and sense of self and seeing people responding to images that I created and connecting, really connecting mm-hmm. to other human beings in a, ve- in a way that gave me value or that was outside of, you know, am I worth anything? Am I going to be anybody? Am I mediocre? Am I pretty? Am I not? Am I useless? Am I a bad person? Am I a good person? All these questions that right. just like haunt you forever. Um, you were able to like externalize them. Just instead of that, just be like, hey, I did this. Yeah. And... You get something out of it, okay? So I'm. I guess I'm. That's it. That's all I needed. All I wanted is to like, you know, wow. 
connect in a way that captured things that I guess either haunted me or 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 even in, enchanted me, not just right. haunted me, but just like you know the this otherworldly feeling of being alive while trying to figure out what it means. Right, which is like such a mind fuck sometimes in your twenties and trying to realize like. That. What is it that happened? Why am I like this fucked up? And like you kind of like all the time trying to kind of go back and figure it out like some fucking detective. And like I had this dream tonight. What does it mean? Like (laughs) what I love about that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but just artist to artist, what I think is so profound about Honey Boy in particular, and certainly what I get from your work really in general is that like it's not so much about presenting a finished package. It feels like there's a connection point that I feel in your mm-hmm. work like in honey boy like i feel connected to the questions and to the messiness of mm-hmm. some, I, I felt like i i felt like i encountered soul in wow. some way in in, you. in your work because it's so honest and it's not a it's not it's you're it's obviously like you have a visual style that's very beautiful and all that but it's it's not presentable it's it's like it's there for me to experience it in some kind of raw way, is that intentional? Is that is that just how it comes out? Great question. Um, I know that was a lot of questions. Too, no, girl. that was <laughs> strong. You're strong. You have always you always have strong questions and strong answers. I've noticed that about you. Uh, I think that um, first of all, I I truly believe in finding your people, like mm. in in life, and and I think one of the most magical things that happens to every artist and maybe one of the reasons that you do feel like you belong once you start to express yourself is that when people start to respond to your work and what you expressed right now is just like you felt it, it reached you, it touched yeah. you because we're probably, you know, each other's people in some kind of way mm. and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are not getting that from my work, right? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, it's pretty hard, I think, <laughs> not to have a real encounter with I, something and in, in, in Honey Boy in particular. I, that's that's extremely generous of you and thank you and I and I, I am I'm seeing a lot of people responding to it, but I but I but I do think that like that's an amazing aspect of art where you kinda start to meet people that you speak to and that you have something in common with and you, you sort of like grow your understanding of who you are but also understanding who you're having dialogues with mm. and so I, I mean, I, it's important, I think, to me sometimes to frame that because I feel like there's so many, um, yeah, there's just so many different people in this world, right, that, like, different things speak to them. Mm. And it means so much to me when I meet somebody that says what you just said, but I'm also like, oh, what's your story? Because mm. we probably have some stuff. We probably that, got some stuff in common. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's one thing. But, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think that coming from... Coming, I mean, I coming from a house, and I and I always kind of credit a little bit. I credit my parents to this. Two people that had like just the biggest hearts, but were so in many ways and um, having a hard time, but but really trying hard and and seeing that struggle and seeing all that love, but also the pain and you know the the fucked up parts and the parts that are hurtful and then being like a romantic kid a little bit about all of that but needing to embrace all of that mm-hmm. feeling like i can never cut cut uh, cut out what's painful and always have to kind of see the duality of wow. of, of of things and 
seeing humanity. Yeah, you like to look at it all. And, I, lo- I and love that. on it, like, and love yeah. on it, you know, and not, like, be like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to fuck with this because that's not comfortable or that's bad for me. Well, I definitely don't, especially in Honey, but there's no judgment. The lens is just showing what yeah. it's showing. And if there is a sort of judgment, it's a loving judgment. It, it's a, it's yeah. a, you do look on all of these characters with so much love. Yeah. Now, we're going to, we're going to take a little bit of a break. Okay. Uh, we're going to be back with more from Alma, starting with... Questions from the Culture Machine Instagram. And we're back. Alma, I got a question for you from Instagram. Go. Uh, okay, so uh, this question is from Sydney Did It, okay? I don't know what she did, but she did it. She wants to know, what was your first film and what was it like making it? Um, my first film was Bombay Beach. I made it in 2011. Um, it was a documentary film that had dance in it and mm. um, three stories at the, Sultan, the Sultan Sea, which is um, a sea in the middle of the desert um, outside of uh, India. Um, and it had music by a band named Beirut and Bob Dylan. It's three stories around the Salton Sea. The Salton Sea, if you don't know, is used to be like a vacation destination in the 50s and was really sort of hot and, you know, up and coming, um, I guess, you could say like uh, property, you know, at the time everybody was like, oh, this is going to be the next Riviera. Mm-hmm. Like you got to invest in that. So like mm-hmm. Frank Sinatra and people like that had a house there and would go speed boating. And um, it was kind of created because they diverted the Colorado River into a salt basin into in, in the middle of the desert uh-huh. because it uh, over f- flooded. Um, and over time it became from this like American dream of like the next Riviera into this really a ghost town with a lot right. of meth addicts and a lot of, you know, people that found themselves there or grew up around the area but but have extraordinary stories and it follows them and tells their story through dance. Wow. Um and and some um you know, very tame moments mixed with like um dance sequences. Amazing. And uh yeah, I mean making it was one of the probably the f- most freedom I've ever had, you know, making anything other than maybe my video art. Um, I was alone for months over there um, finding the film and spending time with these amazing people um, and learning a lot, like coming back home. And I remember I had these like memory cards on the cameras and I would like, you know, kind of back them up in the evening and download the, mm. the footage to mm-hmm. like a small drive and kind of watch what I filmed and keep some, you know, frames and stuff. And I, I'll i never forget this feeling of driving back to where I was staying to back up the footage and mm. feeling like I have a treasure. Wow. And, and, and that I got to make sure it's backed up. And there was no one there and it's night and I'm like almost falling asleep on the wheel. Wow. Like after filming all day in the sun, you know, and being alone and... That but you were on a journey. You were on a mythic journey. I was on such a journey. I was you gotta so keep obsessed. The treasure. Yeah. I oh, I love so that. So obsessed with this place and these people and telling their story. It was. It was, was that amazing. was that when you knew this is what you're going to be doing? That yeah. Direct, that's when you knew. 
Yeah, I think I think uh, I had a few moments that I knew I still have them. Yeah. By the way, I still have I still have moments of doubt. Sure. I still had I, I had moments on Honey Boy, on set where I was like, I'm I'm never doing this again. Really? Yeah. And then I had moments, you know, where I was like, I meant to do this. I was born to do this. So I I, I still have those moments. And then I have moments now where I'm seeing videos of people. They did this video. Amazon cut this video the other day from all these. Um, people that are going to see Honey Boy for two, three, four, five times. Wow, um, I can see that. Nothing I would ever think would happen. And they had them record these, like, you know, just like on their phone, like, I, I want to see it three times. This is why, you know? Right. And I watched that, and I was like, oh, I'm going to make limbs forever. As ah, long as life lets me, right? That's and, amazing. But then I, I can always... There's so many aspects to this film business, as mm-hmm. we said before, and... Mm-hmm. There's always moments, for me anyway, where I'm like, be careful of your dreams, of what you ask for. Is it is it imposter syndrome for you? I mean, you? those moments, too. That's, that's like a different thing mm. that I have where I'm just like, you know, the imposter syndrome is so strong where you're like, oh, um, I'm in the room with all these people that do shot lists and storyboards and went to film school and always know their top 10 list that they can pull out of their ass and yeah. like you know have 10 books those. they want to make into a film and can those. quote shit and I'm like what <laughs> um, yeah I know I'm not that uh, but yeah I also have moments where um, different moments where actually are moments of opportunity I have to say where mm. I want to feel thankful and instead of it I find myself kind of like what have I done? Mm. Like, this is not what I should be doing. There's too much business around the art, and I feel compromised, or I feel like I'm, you know, doing things that, um, or, or I don't know, yeah, especially now, you know, I think a lot of people go through that if they are lucky mm-hmm. enough to go through this thing where you have a film and you put it out there and you kind of realize what that takes. Right. You know, right. so, and you said you, I know you've done <clears throat> PR for eight years and stuff yeah. like that. and That's where um, the glow definitely yeah. began to dim. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> but I mean, it's, you know, it's part of it for me because it's like the art is the thing that I'm in it for. The rest of it is sort of like, uh, it's the job yeah. that I have to do in order to get the next canvas. 100%. And I'm all about that when I had enough sleep. Yeah. And then when I didn't and I didn't eat or I'm like on the set for the third, fourth, fifth week or something and I'm, you know, in a situation where, I don't know, sometimes there's just moments where you're just like, is this is this what I, is this the dream? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Wait, Gosh. I'm living the dream or am I living some nightmare that I created that like I thought was a dream? Well, my, my favorite phrase is like getting your own TV show, but you could insert anything into it. Getting your own movie, getting your whatever is like getting beat to death with your own dream. Wow. And it's very true. Wow. It's very true. Yeah, it's very true. And I think like every project you do, I mean, takes something from you mm. in a really cruel way. Yeah. And then kind of gives you something big back yes. that you never expected. Well, I think if you, that pick, you're gonna if you get pick it right. It. Yeah. If, if you, you do of it course. Right. Yeah. yeah. God, there's so much I want to talk to you about. Um, <laughs> you met Shia 
right on the set of Bombay Beach. Did you know then? Not on the set. Like, oh. uh, like I finished Bombay Beach. It came out, and then like a one Tribeca came out with Focus Films, who you worked with. Yeah, that's right. And ended up as a DVD. I mean, came out on two theaters, I should say. By the way, like okay. minimal kind of release, and then came out onto a DVD um, and Amoeba Records some guy who works there, I'm going to assume it's a guy on purpose, put it in the wrong section, <laughs> uh, in the documentary section of Bob Dylan. Oh. Uh, like in films about Bob Dylan, because it had music by Bob Dylan. Wow. And Shia was looking for a documentary about Bob Dylan as research for his part, because he was thinking he was going to play a young Bob Dylan, picked up the, the DVD, because he was like, oh, this looks like uh, I should fuck with that, because Bob Dylan did music wow. for it. And then ended up watching it like twice at the same night and hitting me up and saying, wow. you know, uh, we should do something. Like, literally emailed me a cold email to my website. Um, and I remember, like, so clearly, like, where I sat when I saw it. And um, my ex-husband at the time, Bozikin, was like, that's not him. Somebody's fucking with you. He would, like, send his agent if it was if it was him. Wow. And I was like, I don't know. I got a feeling it's him. And like, I emailed him back, and we met to probably two days later for dinner. Isn't it funny how sometimes you just don't know the step you're completing? Yes. Until way after. Oh, yes. <laughs> of course. This was like that do for you? you? Always, do you ever try to reverse engineer that shit? What do you mean? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> do you ever, like, uh, find yourself in, like, the present moment thinking, I wonder what this is all about? Yeah. Because in... I'm only going to know in five years. hundred percent. And I'm going to try and guess <laughs> what well, this is leading to. Well, there's so many projects that I'm like, I want this to happen right now. And it right. doesn't. But right. then because it's not happening right now, something in the world happens or right. something in me happens that changes yeah. what the project means. And it yeah. may still not be ready to happen, but it's sort right. of like, oh, I'm so glad I didn't make it. Fuck yeah. Do Last you feel guided? Year. Like, do you feel like, I don't mean in, a, in necessarily a religious way, um, but maybe a spiritual way, but like, just like from a place of acceptance, I guess, which I, mm. I is, is, do you feel like, do you feel acceptance, I guess, when, when you don't get what you want? I think I'm kind of like you where it, de- it depends on what my state of mind is when it hits me. Right. Sometimes it feels like, you know, you know, like recently there's a project that I've been trying to make happen. It's like one of the things that like I feel like I was put on the earth to make. Mm-hmm. And wow. we just got totally deadlocked. Nobody wanted to make it. Fuck. And, you know, it just felt like as much as I was frustrated and am frustrated that we can't move it forward, there's a piece of me that just feels like this may not have been the time. Yes, 100%. And when you look back at things, I believe that. Yeah. Um, but when you look back at things, do you tend to think more about things that didn't work out or do you like hardly think about them? Um, I think about the, th- when I look back, <laughs> it's funny, when I look back, I think about the things that didn't work out. When I, lo- when, I mean, I think about the things that did work out that, that got me out. here. Yeah. When I look forward, however, right. I look at all of the possible ways in which the whole ship could go down. <laughs> right. But it's interesting because when we do look back, I mean, there's so many things that I wanted to do. There's so many people I wanted to them to fall in love with me mm. like let's say in the past that I never hardly think about like sometimes I yes sometimes I mean I have a memory here or two or you know if it really meant something but most of the time like it's amazing how much those things actually tend to 
not mean what you thought they mean at the time. Well, and, that and, is 100% yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and that's yeah. and that's really good to know in your bones because then when things at the moment don't necessarily happen, you can kind of let go of them and say, okay, I mean, I'm not going to think about this 10 years from now anyway. <laughs> like, There, there's definitely, I think that's great advice, especially for our listeners too, who, you yeah. know, a lot of Donat Me fans and people, you know, who follow the Culture Machine channels, they're trying to make it happen for the first time in a lot of cases. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to use that as a segue Please. <laughs> as well. Yeah, that's because I'm making, stuff, man. I'm making my way to Honey Boy because, Lord, we got to talk about this movie. But um, there's a great question uh, from my Instagram from someone named Bomb Diggity, which I can't believe you got that username. Like, that's, good for you. That's pretty cool. Anyway, Bomb Diggity wants to know if you have any tips for women of color trying to break into the entertainment industry. Wow. I mean, that's an important question, right? Yeah. And there's like, um, we, you know, I mean, I know you know about Free the Work, which is my nonprofit because you've been such a, an important uh, part of it right now, both with the knowledge you drop on our community <laughs> and your beautiful playlists that you do. But really, you know, I, I think that what I try to do with Free the Work is uh, create visibility for um, women of color, people of color, men of color, women mm -hmm. in general, um, trans-identifying, non-binary individuals that really need to be seen has work that they can share. And we are now at, in the process of also making all of our emerging filmmakers searchable by the industry and not just a pro, pro you know, mm. database, but really what it is, is kind of like an IMDb meets Spotify, if you may, where instead of making playlists of, um, <clears throat> you know, music, you can... Uh, make playlists of talent. So I think like, first of all, joining that or any other place that can give you visibility, mm -hmm. uh, because there are people right now in the industry that are looking for you. Your voice uh, is important. Women of color um, are needed and we need you to tell stories and we need to know where you are because there are a lot of people that are in positions of hiring that are living under the myth that there are only five women of color yes. that are directors or there are only three women of color that are cinematographers. And I've walked into so many rooms and had these conversations where they're like, we are really looking for a woman of color. I've been in a room like that today for, mm. for a show and all the women of color are already working. Yes. And that's a sentence that I hear... Um, and you see, like, the work that Eva does, you know, mm -hmm. and the way that she's really kind of casting, in a way, her, her show um, behind the camera yep. in a way that is giving so much opportunity. It's so inspiring. Um, but that's what we're trying to do is really give visibility so those conversations can shift and people stop saying that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and then just, like, don't lose faith and keep making shit however you can because um, – it, it, it's it's time. I think I think that is really really amazing good advice because there are so many times you're right when it's like the list the list of five yes women of color women wh whatever the category yeah. is yeah the list of five are working which is fantastic right. because in a lot of ways right. like five years ago maybe that list wasn't working hundred percent but sometimes it's just like people don't know where to look. And they are being lazy and yeah. they're not looking hard enough. That is true. Yeah. But the good news is that there really is, you know, there's a it's a supply and demand thing. There is yeah. a demand right there now. There is actually a demand. Yeah. There's actually a demand. I've, I've been to rooms, I've seen projects where they're like, 
would you make this? And I'm like, I, I, I refused to, refused, I, I passed, you know, mm. to, on a project today that is really amazing. Yeah. Um, it's done by a production company I respect that has done a lot of whatever award-winning work, but also just like, you know, shit that I love. Yeah. Um, and I have no doubt that that project has to be directed by a woman of color. And I was like, I shouldn't be making this. Right. Like you should find a woman of color to direct this. This is this is a story about the experience of being a woman of color. Right. Um, and they were just like, we're dying to find a woman of color. Like, mm. That's what we want. Right. But they're working. Right. So hearing that, I was like, I'm sending you a playlist tomorrow. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Um, and they're actually on there now, and they're like, yeah, we're going to try to do that. And they discovered uh, two or three women there that they're meeting with. But I'm like, there's a moment now where people are aware, and it's a matter of like increasing visibility, you yeah. know, and in any way you can. And I saw this other day a woman like, and social media is fucking amazing right yeah. now with that. And, like, you know, I saw this woman the other day, like, kind of just tagging Eva and going, like, hey, shout out to... And, like, she she just wrote all of all, all, of, all of us. Like, all, yeah. the, all the people that are out there, like, <laughs> she wrote me and Eva and, like, a bunch of people and Lena. And, like, she just, yeah. like, put everybody... And she was like, hey, I need work. Here's this shit that I did. And it was, like, a episode she directed for Ballers, which yeah. had, like, a great scene. And Eva yeah. was like, where are you? Like, where are you located? Like, I, I was like... That. Love this shit. Love like, that. Use it. Like yeah. we're we're there. We're reading. We're looking at it. Shoot we're actually shot. we're DMing each other. Like so, yeah. Increase visibility. That's amazing. Now look, we're going to take another break, y'all, because when we come back, we're going to get into some honey boy. Good. All right, welcome back to Don't At Me. I'm talking to Alma Harrell directress of Honey Boy, which is, again, I, I'm just, I love this movie so much. Thank you, man. And I think the best way to sort of get into it, I'm going to take another question from the Culture Machine Instagram. Uh, this is from Loretta TG, who asks, what are some of the things you learned about yourself as a filmmaker making Honey Boy? And I know that's a wow. big open-ended question. Yeah, so, as a filmmaker, not as a human being. Yeah, as a filmmaker... What yeah. did you learn about yourself? Mm. I think well, I've learned so many things in Honey Boy. Um, I think that, uh, you know, when you make a, a, your first film, I would say, your first scripted film, because mm -hmm. it's not my first film. I made two documentaries before that. But when you make your first scripted film and you're with a really big crew that doesn't necessarily know you, like mm -hmm. they... They like you, they like your vision, maybe they saw your documentary or they like the script. They chose they chose to come, right? And mm -hmm. on, indie, on indie films, every person that that comes is is, is trusting something because they're not making money. Mm. They want to make a piece of, of art, you know. Something they want to make something in. that means something to them. Um, so you, you got that in your corner, but like there's... There's a um, if if you are somebody that does things differently, like people are gonna be more suspicious that maybe things are gonna go wrong or you don't know what you're doing if it's your first film mm. because you haven't yet proven that there's a you know some logic behind the madness or you know that 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 it can work and the way we we shot 
honey boy, like, I I think a lot of the things you learn again and again is to trust your instincts mm-hmm. and to kind of trust your, your path and how you do things and that it works for you. Yeah. Say um, that. That's a, that's a, that's yeah, a word. That's like, yeah, that's <laughs> huge. And like to take um, a lot of people with you on that journey and say, um, no, this is how I do things. Yeah. And I know that the continuity didn't work. I know that we did nine takes and they didn't look the same. I know that I didn't block it and then ask the actors. I know, like all these things that you maybe want to do. And the script supervisor, who could be like the kindest person in the world that only wants to help you, comes to let you know again and again you didn't get something right. And you're like, I, I have a feeling that's not going to matter later on. Mm-hmm. And I have bigger things to focus on right now, which is like the rawness of my performance, the truth of my characters, you know, the the dynamic in the in the room whatever it is that you're at that point like looking at and they're like no he didn't put the cup where he put it last time or whatever yeah um again not to make the scripty the bad person because really that's their job and they're fighting to help you but uh those that that was like huge to kind of get into the editing room mm. and see that the best shit that i filmed had nothing to do with nothing all the things to. people were warning me about well, that's what that's. I think that that's really great because, especially people who are traditionally not allowed into these spaces, yes, you can sort of get into your Say head because again. there's so many people yes. who are telling you, and they don't mean to tell you because they don't, they're not even aware yeah. that this is the subtext coming through. Yeah. But the subtext is like you're not doing it right. Yes, and especially yes. if you're coming and in, and you're in trouble, and you're in trouble for and not like, doing it right. I'm trying to conjure the greatest performance of all time right yes. now. <laughs> yes, Excuse me. Um, excuse me. I'm trying to <laughs> deal with generational trauma. Hello. <laughs> like, can we not, like, make me insecure about this cup, like, or about this cigarette, or it's really hard to go so deep and be with your actors or be with, you know, the moment and, like, kind of get into the magic and keep getting poked by people around you that telling you like you might be failing and you don't know yeah oh that is so real Alba. i'm so glad you brought that up now i i um one of the things i think is really interesting is to talk about is process because your process of making this film is so different than i think whatever the quote-unquote norm is but really quickly like have you seen have you seen that documentary spielberg no you got to watch it because it? It, it changed my whole life. So sure. it's like it's I think it's HBO films. But it's a documentary called Spielberg. And in my mind, Spielberg directs the way you're taught to direct in film school. In my mind, sure. everything is fully storyboarded. Well, it's more like Spielberg and Hitchcock did something and then film school started to teach everything based on that. Or no, Spielberg went to film school. And yeah, like, he went course, to film yeah. school. And, and, right. and because his movies sort of are like... They're almost like the king's English when it comes to film language. It's like yeah. it's like everyone sort of is not everyone, but a, a lot of especially like commercial movies are following like his vocabulary, the, his mm-hmm. style, things that he established. Yeah. But the wildest thing about watching this documentary on him is that he doesn't direct that way at all. Wow. He actually is kind of a mess in, wow. in a brilliant way. He wow. sh- he shows up and he just figures it out wow. and he does all kinds of things that you were taught never to do. Wow. And when I th- when I read realize oh spielberg is winging it like in a in a in an amazing way like not in a 
not in a like he doesn't know what he's doing kind of way, but like in a he's literally going in there with no storyboard. Sometimes not having seen the location is like, okay, what's this scene about? And out of that place conjures. Wow. And he was always like that. Does it go back? Or? Yeah, it goes. Yeah, it goes all the way back to the beginning and the way he was making ET. You know, because he shot ET in order with kids really like whispering into their ears and like coming up with this thing wow. from like his instincts and when and when you see Spielberg is doing that then it's like well, no one has to Why do it the right way are you giving me such a hard time yeah yeah, yeah. wow I, I definitely didn't see that you gotta check it out it, it, it wow. definitely made me feel better about the times when I didn't feel like using a storyboard and I didn't feel like... I didn't storyboard anything other than VFX sequences mm. or accident or something that involved other people or, you know... We like needed, choreography. Yeah, that we needed like people to... people and things. We needed to get... Uh, we needed to get... We needed to get certain things approved with visual effects. We had a lot of uh, visual effects shots relative to the tight budget we were on, mm-hmm, right? So mm-hmm. there was like kind of a process of negotiation of like how many exactly shots do you need for this sequence for us to say, commit sure. that we're going to do it. Sure. So those are things that I storyboarded. But uh, yeah, I didn't storyboard anything else and definitely kind of, I always have to find it and kind of also let the actors feel it out and, you know, and be with them. And and I don't mean like just blocking, but I mean like even post-blocking and already filming, discovering mm. new things that are just happening and then going with them. What is your What was yeah. your guiding principle on that set? Because I, I think sometimes mm, like, like... one? Like well, things or just, that like... Like, you know, because if, if, for some people, it's that storyboard. It's like, we want to accomplish these, this storyboard. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. I feel like a lot of... It's funny, right? Because I always say that, like, uh, um, I mean, to talk, uh, not to um, not to go against, you know, the, the, the legends of cinema. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, Spielberg is one of them, obviously. But uh, how easily... Um, Certain men, I would say, get these adjectives of like visionary and mm. legendary and like a genius and like, you know, and all of those things in cinema while a lot of other people and I would say women and people of color specifically are called either really hardworking or or, or just um you know, difficult, but I'm just like, just <laughs> like really, uh, that, that uh, word comes up a lot. Or just like, yeah. And, and I think, um, part of the reason some people are, some people are really appreciative of the idea of a visionary as somebody that can, um, storyboard a whole film or know in advance what it would be and then uh, follow it meticulously and create a product that is a a perfect reflection of supposedly the vision that he had, mm-hmm. right? Because he managed to manifest it according to every planned detail that they could see beforehand. Mm-hmm. And that kind of appreciation um, and that kind of definition of a vision is something very safe in mm-hmm. a way to the systems, right? And to the power structures, because mm-hmm. um, the structures of power, because they're like, oh, this is somebody that is a visionary because he knows what he's going to do in advance. There's no surprises. It's never dangerous. And all we got to do is, is you know, um, follow what he already mapped out. And at the end, we're going to get a product that we know how to market. Um, but really, there's a lot of artists 
and maybe Spielberg turns out to be one of them now. <laughs> I, I, it blew my mind. You got to watch I, this documentary <laughs> for a second. Not saying I know anything about Spielberg's process. Trust bl- me, blew my whole mind. <laughs> it's like anyway. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to watch it. Yeah. But I, but I'm just saying like this uh, this other idea of somebody who whose vision is not something that is mapped out. It's something that is really intuitive. It's something that is really comes from. Um, getting joy and satisfaction and a thrill from the danger mm. of not knowing necessarily what's going to happen yeah um at any all the time of course sometimes you have to know what's happening but you you kind of want life to surprise you even mm. on set and come in and like blow the you know the wind of of you know kind of like this moment and um and then and and be there in the storm yeah and know what to do and in the eye of that storm know what to do and make these decisions in real time and then uh come out winning right Mm -hmm. and that's like some really killer shit if you could do that and you feel I, i i find a lot more satisfaction from that than from like painting the perfect storyboard right. and then like filming it frame by frame mm. and editing it to perfection and saying like well, I how, knew this is gonna be perfect well, how, how many times have you seen movies that feel perfectly made yeah that have no life no life but you know some people don't notice that mm. I mean, and that's what goes to what we said before, where you were like, oh, this shit is real, and like it has truth, and it touches me, or however you, you, you said it. And like I see a lot of people that like that kind of aesthetic perfection that's really feel orchestrated, but I feel when I watch it, I'm like, this has no life. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not feeling anything right now. Well, it definitely, like, you know, like that's why Ryan Coogler's Black Panther, for me, was such a revelation. Yes. Because, like... Prior to that, so many of the superhero movies felt so. The pre viz, you could just feel it. Yeah. It was like, am I watching video game cutscenes or am I watching a movie? Sure. And that film had a vibe. It had a vibe, and sure. you felt the life of the characters. Yeah. He found a way to and bring it's from life his to it. First film, like I mean. Yeah, yeah. That film had so much vibe. Yeah, I, I, I found myself studying Fruitvale because I just shot Beautiful. something on 16 millimeter, and I was like, I gotta. I was I was watching it. It's a brilliant film. So I watched that too before we shot. Oh really? Yeah, that's definitely one of the films that I watched. I mean, I didn't watch a lot of stuff because I didn't have much time. I have to say, we like this film was happened so fast. Yeah, talk to me about like me how and Natasha it came about. were like, we're gonna watch so many films together. We didn't watch any films together. <laughs> <laughs> well, well talk, talk to me a little bit about how it came about because I know that Shia. I know the story of it is that it came out of Shia's therapy sessions. Yeah, Shia was had a pretty horrific, I think, um, you know, year that really brought the worst out of him in many, many situations that. Um, Included everything from violence to rants that were, um, you know, just terrible and in any possible way. And from things that he uh, said to the police officer to things that happened to him in bars to, like, just, like, everybody was like, oh, he's an alcoholic. But nobody was like... He's like, you know, he's an alcoholic. He's a he's a alcoholic actor. He's a privileged actor that's getting drunk and being racist. And it was like, 
I knew him from before, mm. you know, and I was like, I've never seen that side of him. What is going on in those moments where he get triggered like that that brings like out this thing out of him that um some of us never get to see. Right. And um I've seen him once actually like in an in an argument with somebody, actually a friend, and he left. He was like, I got to leave cuz I'm going to I mm. will get into that if I stay. And I was like, wow, like what triggered that? And um, when the last arrest happened, he was court ordered to go to this like mental health. It, they were like, you're going to jail for four years or you're going to a, a mental health, mm. you know, uh, slash rehab facility upstate New York. And he went there. And I spoke to his therapist, by the way, which was part of the yeah. process of getting ready for this film. And she was like, when he came in, he was like, a scared animal. She was mm. like, I saw his eyes and his his pupils were so big. And I was like, this kid has PTSD. Mm. And they started diagnosing him over a, f a period and doing all sorts of stuff. And they were like, you have PTSD. And he has, you know, um, they, they kind of got him into this like exposure therapy thing where you, again, do role play mm -hmm. um, and like had him play out all of these memories. And really the film focuses on the memories that he ended up transcribing into a script and sending it to me from there. But there's just so much stuff that he went through as a kid that he spoke about in the media, I feel like, a few times. And from, you know, being in, in, in his house as a child when his mother was raped. Um, and I remember him telling telling me that in a you know, before we went to an AA meeting together once. I mean, we we really don't hang out that much. I have to say, we either make <laughs> art together. We went to a few AA meetings together. We like kind of have. Um, we don't have like millions of hangouts. Like Shai is usually always working, and yeah. like he he finds it very hard to to function when he's not working. Mm. And uh, when he's not working, he really has to be in a meeting every day. But um, I remember, like you know, that story. I was. And came up when when he was in therapy, and obviously, you know, his accident, which like it was a massive car accident that cut off his fingers, sure. and and his childhood. And she was like, "You had all these things that happened to you." And there was a few more things. I mean, we kind of put like literally five percent of his childhood in the film. You know, right. there it was so much more violent, and we didn't feel like we need to drag Noah Jupe through all of the stuff that happened to him, but. He, he had mental health issues and like the alcoholism just masked it, you know, mm -hmm. and he sent it to me from there. And I was like, oh, like this is, first of all, really hit me hard because my father is an alcoholic. And, right. and I was like, this is telling all of this story from the perspective of the child. Yes, um, which and, is so powerful. Yeah. So I was just really drawn to that. And second of all, like, this is really so incredible to see him telling his story, but the thought of, I was like, if he plays his father, you know, and um, has to do all of all of this while developing empathy for his father, who was the biggest villain in his life, mm. and even when we started working on it, he was like, I can't, I hate him, I never want to, you know, talk to him again. And then I was like, you have to go and meet him. You have to go to... His father lives in South uh, America, and um, he went and met him. They haven't spoken for seven years. Um, kind of got him to, you know, agree to to make the movie and all of that, but also started developing a relationship with him. Wow. And 
interviewed him and recorded her and sent it to me from there. And that became a lot of what's in the script in the AA share. And that's like real, real shit his dad said, you know. Right. And so, yeah, it was a huge process that started in a therapy room, but kind of, you know, came out of there and into this like process of um, turning it into what you see on screen and developing it and making it I think at the end of the day now I feel like about so many other people that have like relationships that if they don't overcome them they're never gonna be free what's so powerful about that is that is the sense of empathy Mm -hmm. that you have, like, your lens on these characters. I really felt that because, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, a movie like this, first of all, the movie moves so quickly from introducing him as an actor mm -hmm. to introducing his turbulent life to bringing him to the point of therapy and then bringing us into the memories he's addressing. And what's so great about your filmmaking in this movie is that It's not intellectualized. It's not really explained to us in all of this expository fashion. You sort of get to the heart of it. Mm. And so f that is a rare thing in movies that like oh, thank you. The, the sense of empathy with which you held his story made it so visceral for me. And, oh, so sweet. and especially in a world where we talk about like who can tell whose story like it was as if it was your story and it was as mm -hmm. if it was my story. And, you know, me and my partner both have dad shit. That is Daddy issues very is, different. That is the thing with this movie, yeah. And it's different than that than Shia's, but yeah, like, but still, yeah. I saw myself, yeah. you know, and um, I, I guess like, I, I guess in, you know, we only have so much time, but right. one of the things I'm really interested in is how did you take all of that, which I would describe as like a hurricane of emotions and yeah real-time healing and right. trauma work and navigate that with actors, particularly Noah. Noah was unreal. And, and Lucas, too, I have to say, because Lucas, Lucas is incredible. Lucas in doesn't get talked about as much because he's kind of, Lucas is like just one of the most, and I'm going to get back to Noah, who's a fucking miracle, but a uh, 12-year-old miracle at yeah. the time, now 14. But um, but Lucas Hedges, who plays kind of Shia at yes. sort of the age we know him at, sort yeah. of. Yeah, like, young, no, younger, like I think like 10 years younger okay. than now, I guess, sure. when he was more like kind of post-Transformers or something, right. uh, because we kind of condensed a, a lot of the stuff that Right. you know went over the years but i would say like just like in general just to give a shout out to lucas who's just one of the most generous actors out there mm. who really is in a position to take any role or a lot of roles right. that he wants and to only play the main role which mm -hmm. a lot of actors at his position after they got nominated for the oscars and stuff they're like i'm only doing the main role i'm yep. only doing leading man i'm only doing a thing that's going to get me my next nomination and lucas is always like What's the most interesting thing I can do right now that would challenge me and um, make me want to be part of it? And how can I service this mm. film and like give myself to it and give my life to it? And really, he gave us his life for months and for a part that isn't the biggest part in the film, obviously, but like was so hard to do. And he shot all of his therapy scenes, which are as you saw um, so painful he shot all of that in one day wow you know, we shot all of the whole film in 19 days and Lucas wow. shot his scenes in, in, in one day um, so just shout That's out to, to Lucas because he's such a the range of work that he accomplished in that one day is out of control yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is this what are you trying to do you can't have me in the fucking room knitting for two hours how are your studs right now 70 okay let's bring it down 
I want you to name four objects and let them bring you to the door, face, uh, light bulb. Snap the rubber band with each item. Shoe, shoe, shoe. One more. Door. Fuck, what are you? Let's try again. Name four things and let them bring you back to Come the on, no. Um, and no, yeah, I mean, how do you kind of take all of that uh, all, and, and work on with actors like that? I think... I think it's it was like um, we built a family mm. before we were like it was like two months of rehearsals and hanging out and watching each other and Shia and Noah were just together every day juggling hanging out talking rehearsing going to baseball games uh, hanging out with Noah's mom constantly Noah and his mom moved into Shia's house Shia moved to a motel because he wanted to be like living his dad's life. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lucas was like, you know, wearing Shia's clothes and hanging out with Noah, and they were studying each other physically so they can develop Otis together. And we and were you kind see of that so vividly. So it was like a lot of uh, prep. So yeah. when we stepped into the set and the storm came, um, we could look into each other's eyes and know who's there. I'm looking for one of those nines, please. No can be bullshit, Jen. Bullshit. No, you did. Jen. No, you did not. Fifth and you had the six. God damn. I knew it too. I knew you had it. I knew it. I saw it. I saw it on your face. Put it down. 86. I'm getting better. Because you're lying. to lie. Yeah, well, you lie for a living, poop butt. We all do. I don't. Yeah, you do. No, sir. You lie. I'm telling you, I'm a lot of things. A liar's not one of them, buddy. Wow. You know, that's really interesting because rehearsal is something that so <laughs> few people yeah. have. But it's also because I think a lot of us as filmmakers are afraid to fight for it and to ask for it. I didn't have to fight for it because Shia is such a, you know, he's such a prep person. Mm. He preps hard. And Lucas was coming into this with a lot of love for Shia and appreciation mm. for Shia. And it was like Shia is, is one of the actors that he loves the most and make him the most excited about acting. Wow. So he was like, I got to work as hard as he does. Yep. And Noah was like, I'm British and <laughs> I'm going to... I'm going to pull this off and I'm going to be as good as these guys. And that we all just like busted our asses for months and and everybody was obsessed. Wow. This movie was obsession. Like yes. I mean, months of obsession. Like I always say that I've never had this feeling before in my life. I've, I didn't have a single personal thought mm. for months making this film. It really? never happened to me. Really? What do you mean by that? No personal thoughts. I didn't have personal thoughts. Every thought that I had was related to the film. Wow. I didn't think about myself. I didn't think about people in my life. I didn't think about my physicality. I didn't think about earthly things. I didn't think about... I, I, I had no space in my head for wow. that and no time. You transcended, Alma. I mean, I don't know. You transcended was, the human condition for a minute. It was obsession. I don't know if it was healthy. Well, I was going to ask you that. Did you? Did you? Did I don't you think f- it's sustainable over long shoots. Like right. it almost killed me. Like I, I, like I said, I didn't. Like at some point, I was like, "How do these 
fuckers do those like two I think years about, shoots? I think like, about Kubrick making eyes wide shut all the time. Like, how, did how the that? fuck did they do how that? Long was that shit? It was like six years I or something crazy. I know with a real married couple, like it was something nuts no. like that. It was like Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. That's right. It was years, and I and one of the reasons why he wanted before he died Spielberg to do AI is because he felt like there's no way he could shoot a movie with a kid oh. where the kid wouldn't age over the time it would take him to make the movie. That's wow. he, he made movies over years. You're like a low-key Spielberg fan, though, like big time. I definitely, I'll say, like in terms of the canon, I watch. I'll watch. You know, the arty directors. No, but more. like the canon. Like, but when I when I found out how he made his movies, you I you were I, more impressed. I by was them. really. I got into it. Isn't yeah. it interesting how sometimes you have a filmmaker that isn't necessarily, you know, your shit, mm-hmm. but then either you meet them. Or yeah. you find out something about how they work, and suddenly you have like a new perspective on on everything, and Absolutely. you kind of yeah, that happened to me a few times. It's really interesting. Yeah, I got. I, I've been. Uh, yeah, I mean, I listen. We could go down that rabbit hole, but uh, <laughs> I just want to say the movie is truly phenomenal. Thank I, you. I man. think you accomplished something beautiful and unique, but also just as a filmmaker, I saw you. Thank and you. thank you. I, I felt ah. you, ah. and and I was just like, ah. this is why we need. And, and I, listen, I also don't want to put you in on the pedestal of all women directors, but it it certainly made me feel like this is why women are like <laughs> so like needed need in these stories. S- why we need to see men sometimes through women's eyes? Absolutely, Fuck because yeah. because you brought me to the heart of a person who. I didn't know how much I had in common with him before I saw this. And, you know, I, I, I felt myself on that screen. So thank you That's for that. That's amazing, man. Thank you. And thank you for having me in this really cool spot you got here. It's cool. Which nobody but could sh- see. But shout I'm, out to Starburns Industries, shit. who uh, is hosting us what tonight. What a setup. Okay, Alma, this is how this shit. is going to work. So I've got okay. three questions for you. Okay. You can say don't add me to one of them if you just want, okay. don't want to deal with it. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, but just as uh, fast as you can, just whatever your thoughts are. So my first question is... What movie have you seen this year in 2019 that you think would have been better if a woman made it? Man. <laughs> <laughs> you can say don't at me if it's too much. Man, I'm so bad at this. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm one of those people that you inv- you shouldn't invite to <laughs> test screenings because, like, they try to get you to write anonymously what you think about the film uh-huh, uh-huh. and like say if you think it's it's uh, it's bad or not and like I can't like say how much it fucking sucked because I'm like feeling bad for the editors and oh the you're thinking about how it was made reading it and like so and is this a don't at me I don't know because probably the other two so I just don't want to like hurt somebody <laughs> that I um, that made a film and be like you shouldn't you, your license should be evoked but oh. I, I'll, I'll just say <laughs> we're not saying all that I it just, just I just say that I would say this there are so many films that I've seen this year that should have been made by women yeah. and that were so cringe maybe um, in the comic book sector of films or is there a oh genre that you God. think oh god I mean it's just it's just a it's so disturbing the kind of stuff <laughs> that sometimes you see especially like films that portray obviously like women um sometimes and like just have this really big dick energy mm. um so yeah but i'd rather not get into like dropping names on you so maybe that's it. don't at me not don't at me well you've used your one don't at me Fuck. and now i'm looking at 
<laughs> Some of these other questions. Told you Here. I'm bad at this. Okay, give me your favorite worst film of all time. Like Ooh. your guilty pleasure. Oh, so many. Um, other than The Room, which everybody knows at this point, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's like an old one, but like, you, have you seen it? Of, well, I've seen the movie about it, and I've seen like clips from it, but I don't know if I can do it, girl. Okay, so let me tell you this. Okay. That I used to have screenings at my house <laughs> yes. of The Room every probably three weeks. Or what? Something. Yeah, for quite a while. Not three weeks. But I didn't know it was so big like are gonna get so big but right. it was like it was just our favorite thing to get people to come over and watch it i think that's a pretty good i'll just pleasure. go for that yeah. yeah it's really one it's a classic let's just say that you spoke about the canon before uh-huh. this uh-huh. is the canon of like bad films, of bad films. yeah the room man it's so powerful it's such a strong film and let me see what's a good one hold on, hold on. okay this, is, this one's pretty good okay in one sentence how would you sum up the internet <laughs> Are you insane? Blame In Brendan one... and Aaliyah who work with Culture Rashid. I'm writing okay, you okay, out. Okay, okay, um, um, I guess like the sum of um, the sum of of um, our disappointment with each other and our wishes for the future wow damn alma that was great (laughs) and i agree by the way yeah that was good alma thank you so much thank you man i really appreciate sharing this time with you i I can't stop talking about your movie i love it Uh, i love you let's do it again let's do it again let's bring you to free the work podcast i am so down i think we're trying to make that happen actually great i can't wait yeah that'd be great (laughs) okay all right thank you alma thanks man Okay, that's all the time we have for Don't At Me today. Thank you for listening. We are so excited to be back. Big shout out to Starburns Audio, which is hosting us, uh, especially Jason Smith, the CEO, Jessica Gutierrez, uh, our audio engineer, Judith Cargbo, our production coordinator, Chris Bowers, who did the theme song, Brendan Logan, and Aaliyah Jihad, who are the Culture Machine Ambassadors. I'm Justin Simeon. Thanks for listening. Please do actually at me if you want. <laughs> JSIM07 on Instagram and on the Twitters. Also at Culture Machine. Talk to y'all later. A podcast network.